Hello and welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a food service industry podcast by Restaurant Hospitality. I am your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor Brett Thorne. I am recently returned from Chicago where I attended a two-day long weekend extravaganza called Pizza Fest. Uh, it was organized by my friend and fellow food writer and also TV personality and author, of which I am neither, Steve Delinsky. Uh, he's been a big Chicago food restaurant personality for a long time, and he came out a few years ago with a book called Pizza City USA, 101 Reasons Why Chicago is America's Greatest Pizza Town. Uh, as someone living in New York, I think that's something that uh, uh, a lot of my fellow New Yorkers would uh, question and resent. In fact, last night I was at a bar, said I was in Chicago for Pizza Fest, and a native Brooklynite said, is Chicago known for pizza? Which I thought was pretty funny, because Chicago actually is known for pizza. Uh, and Pizza Fest really kind of underscored how much variety that city has. Uh, Steve actually organized Pizza Fest according to 10 different categories of pizza. There are the three indigenous Chicago styles of pizza, tavern style, deep dish, and stuffed pizza. Uh, there were also three Italian styles, uh, Neapolitan, Roman, and Sicilian. Two varieties from other cities that are also available in Chicago, Detroit and New York, as well as two sort of catch-all categories, um, artisanal and thin crust. And it was, a, it was a fun event. I learned a lot about different kinds of pizza. I ate a lot of pizza uh, and also walked around Chicago and explored a lot of other things that the city has to offer in terms of food and beverage. It's a cool place. I ate a lot. I need to take a break. Um, and maybe uh, practice some of the approaches to eating that my guest for this episode, uh, Seamus Mullen, practices. I have known Seamus probably since 2006 when uh, he started to become a famous chef at uh, Boqueria Restaurant in New York. And he is just a calming presence. He's, he's just a really pleasant person to sit with and hang out and talk about ideas or adventures. I remember him sitting down with me at some, some after party in Aspen at the Food and Wine Classic many years ago and just talking about backpacking through Costa Rica. And, you know, there's, there's just a very gentle and sweet presence about him that I like. Uh, he is currently the culinary director of Rosewood Sand Hill Resort in Menlo Park, California. And uh, we talked a little bit about what he's doing there, but mostly we talked about living a positive eating lifestyle and a positive lifestyle when it comes to taking care of yourself, uh, whether that's getting exercise or meditating or just carving out time 
for us to do what we need to do. And I, I think he has some very targeted and specific advice for chefs and other people in the restaurant world. And I think you will enjoy listening to him, which you're about to be able to do for the next half hour or so. Please enjoy Seamus Mullen. Seamus Mullen, how have you been? I'm well. How are you, Brett? It's been a long time. It has been a long time, and I'm so glad to see you look exactly the same as the last time I saw you. That's nice to hear. I appreciate that, as do you. Thank you. My beard is more gray, but that's fine. Um, that's what happens. Uh, this is, yeah, wisdom. Wisdom, yes. I'm smarter. Uh, so you are now the chef at the Rosewood Sandhills in Menlo Park. Is that right? Yeah, I'm the culinary director. Okay, so what does that involve? Uh, well, that involves overseeing all of the culinary outlets on the property um, and creating all of the, the menus, recipes, training. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on property every few weeks, um, usually there for about a week at a time. Um, and I'm in pretty much daily contact with the executive chef on property who um, worked for me for a number of years, for five years. So he and I have a very close working relationship. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I, you know, I wear a lot, of, a lot of different hats, but primarily my responsibility is overseeing all of the creative, um, uh, creative component of, of, uh, of the food. That sounds fun. Is it fun? It's great. It's really fun. And you're there once a week you said for about a week what do you do the rest of the month what do i do the rest of the month yeah oh, you know i'm just kind of on the beach working on my tan surfing it's california no I, I have a, i have a number of different projects i'm working on a new book i'm working on um a i have a startup that that is going to be launching in the next couple of months which is still in stealth mode um and yeah I, i've got a bunch of different projects that i'm working on um as I have been doing for a long time, everything is in the, the culinary health and wellness space, um, which as you know, is something I'm very passionate about. Yeah, that started with uh, an arthritis situation you had, right? Is that right? Do I remember correctly? Yes, yeah. I mean, I was really sick for a very long time. Um, the early, I would say the first half of my career, I was, I was struggling with my health. Um, and about, you no, know, 11 years ago or so, I I really changed the way I was looking at um, uh, at my health and and sort of dove headfirst into understanding all of the the lifestyle factors that contributed to 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 where I was and was able to really turn my health around and have learned a tremendous amount about nutrition and how the choices we make um, at the table can impact how we feel and that's run through everything that I do from a culinary standpoint. So I'm always very conscientious as to how the choices we make in the kitchen impact our well-being. Uh, and so how, how does that affect what the food is like uh, at the Rosewood Sandhills Resort? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because there's been such an incredible um, shift in general over the past, I would say really in the past five years where people are more and more conscientious of how food impacts their well-being and are asking for food that is both delicious and and good for good for us. Um, 
it's it's a drum that I've been beating for a really long time. So it just doesn't make any sense for me to do anything outside of that. Um, when I look at, you know, there's a there's a balance because ult ultimately people still want to be able to have some of the naughty things. So I have to be conscientious of that. Um, but I try to make sure that our menus always skew towards um, food that is is going to be naturally low in, in refined carbohydrates. We don't use any seed oil. So everything is either, um, I mean, nearly everything that we cook is in, in olive oil. We do use a little bit of butter or ghee, but for the most part, everything is in olive oil. Um, everything is naturally, as I said, low, low carbohydrate. Um, if there are carbohydrates, for the most part, they're coming either from whole grains, which are really quite limited, or uh, from, from cruciferous vegetables. Uh, so there's a, there's a, there's a tendency to skew towards things that are very, very um, vegetable centric and protein centric with, um, with healthy fats. Um, so, you know, it really informs everything that we do at the, at, at the restaurant. You can go in any, any, whether you're eating at the pool or you're eating in Madeira in the, in the dining room, um, the food is going to reflect that ethos. Uh, it's very easy to find something that is going to be both delicious and you're going to feel really good about eating it. Can I also get like a burger and fries and a chocolate shake? You can do that for sure. I mean, we're not in the business of saying no. So we want to make sure that if that's what you want, and that could very well be a very healthy thing to have. If that's, you know, if that's something that really brings you a tremendous amount of joy um, and assuming that you're following the 80-20 rule or it's not just the, uh, the cornerstone of your, your diet, there's nothing wrong with doing that and indulging periodically. We just want to make sure that if you're doing that, you're getting a really good quality burger. So that's very good quality um, meat that you're getting a great bun. You're getting good cheese. Everything is the right stuff. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's something that I really stand by that even if we're going to do things that are on the naughtier side that we're doing it with the good stuff. When the 80, 20 rule that be, be mindful of your health 80% of the time that you're eating and then 20% of the time, sometimes not as much. Is that, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, well, I mean, the 80-20 rule can be interpreted in many different ways. It could be that um, you get 80% of the results from 20% of the effort. Um, it could be, and, and that tends to be like focusing on the good stuff, you know, focusing on the things that are really important. Um, but from, 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 a, from a nutritional standpoint, I would say if you are 80% of the, the time you are listening to your body and you're giving your body what your body wants, then 20% of the time you can give your body what, you know, your brain wants, what you're, what you're craving. Um, as long as we just, you know, you, you make sure that, and, and, and even if you look at it from the, from the, the architecture of the menu, you, I always think I want to make sure that at least 80% of the menu really truly is nourishing and the, the, the more kind of impulsive, impulsive stuff is going to be in the 20% or less. Makes sense. And, and how does that, do you think that affects what your customers are eating? Do they, they, do they tend to go for the 80% of the stuff that's, that's good for them? It, it depends on the outlet because I think people, you know, in in-room dining, people are more, uh, they, they give themselves a little bit more free reign to, to, to be naughty, if you will. Uh, so we need to make sure that we have things there that, that satisfy that. Um, but, you know, for the most part in the, in the dining room, people really do gravitate towards having bright, vibrant, seasonal, fresh food. That's kind of what, how people want to eat these days. Yeah, makes sense. And, and uh, you, you 
kind of sad that well you did say that a burger fries and, and milkshake can be good for you in in and and I don't know how you meant that how I interpret that is if that's going to bring me in a tremendous amount of happiness then that's good for me oh, for sure as long as I balance it out we, we stress so much about what we eat that sometimes I think the stress is worse for us than what we eat without a doubt I mean I, it's funny because I, I I have people that come to me all the time and say you know I can't eat pasta or dairy, but then I go to Italy and I can eat all the pasta I want and I have burrata and I don't feel terrible. I wonder if it's, if the pasta is, if the wheat is different in Italy. And my response to that is always maybe, probably not because most of the wheat in Italy comes from Canada and the United States where there isn't, there aren't the same sort of GMO labeling standards that they have in, in the European Union. But the, the, the more likely result is that when you're on vacation in Italy, you're, you're a little more present. You're present with your food. You're excited to be there. You're, you're having that meal brings you a tremendous amount of joy. You're not as stressed by your everyday life. And you're, you're, you're not eating a meal at the same time you're worrying about your email inbox or whatever else is going on. So there's, you have more overall resources to handle. Maybe this bowl of pasta is not so offensive when you don't have all these other stressors coming in at you. So I, I think that you're right. It, it, it is, uh, it's pretty easy to get caught up in that um, developing an antagonistic re relationship with food in which you feel like, oh, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I can't eat that. Um, but finding out and learning to really be able to understand your body and understand how the foods that you, your body wants. Um, and I don't mean want in terms of like a craving, but the food that your body wants to be so that it can be its best version of itself. So you can be the best version of yourself. Hearing that and responding to that takes, it's, it's hard. But once you, once you learn that, what may work for you will not necessarily work for me and vice versa. We're all, we're all individuals. Um, and it's, it's amazing to me how often when, um, someone tries to espouse a single way of eating for everybody, how much that ends up backfiring. Yeah, I mean, but it, it's it's hard to listen to your body, don't you think? Or does it take a while to figure out what signals your body is giving to you? Oh, it's very, yeah, it's very, it can be very tough. But I think that um, there are some easy ways of doing that. Food journaling is a great one. Or just taking photographs of all of your food that you eat. And then asking yourself at the end of the day, how do I feel? And then looking back at what you've eaten and... You know, the, the sort of the, the, the classic is when you're with, with your, 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 you're with a group of people and, uh, and then the next day somebody calls you and says, oh my God, I had food poisoning. Are you okay? Did you get sick? And then you're suddenly like, you're going through your Rolodex. What did I eat? What could it have been? You know, what, what happened to me? We don't, we're, we're so often really disconnected from our, from the relationship we have with food that we don't, um, you know, we have to actually go through that Rolodex and think, oh my God, what, might, what, what could have been the offensive thing that made me ill? Um, and it's an interesting exercise to do periodically, just when, as you're, you know, being mindful as you're eating and think about, think about, oh, how, how am I going to feel? And then see if that lines up with how you end up feeling afterwards, because the, going back to the 80, 20 rule, oftentimes that joy that you get from the burger and the milkshake, maybe if you had the burger without the fries, you actually would feel really, really good, but then you associate because I would actually argue that a burger, particularly if you get rid of the bun and have the patty is a superfood. Right. It's great, especially if it's really good quality meat. Um, so I, I think there is an interesting, uh, you know, there, there, there's an interesting exercise to do where you can start to take stock of, of how 
what you're eating makes you feel and then you can you can develop your own relationship with food that hopefully is very um that's that's very a very supportive and dynamic and healthy relationship one well, and, and as as i said earlier you look great i mean do you have any gray hair at all seamus what's going on uh, a bit, you know not too much i mean you know i and you know you, you know, you, I, as I said, I don't think you've aged at all since the last time I saw you, which has probably been 10, 15 years. Did you have yeah. to, did you, what kind of journey did you go on to go from not being healthy to being healthy? Uh, well, a big part of it was, um, I mean, honestly, really realizing that so much of, um, I truly do believe that so much of healthcare is free. And it really does start at the plate. So much of healthcare is free. The choices that we make are, um, they don't cost anything and they can have exponentially beneficial impact. The decision that we make around, what is the first thing we eat in the morning? And, and that's a big part of why, you know, at, the, at, at, at Madeira, at Rosewood, I really wanna make sure that the options that are there give people the opportunity to opt into having that positive relationship with food. I don't want to cram it down your throat and say you have to eat this way, but if you if you want to start to, to foster a really positive relationship with food, which I do think is kind of the 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 foundation of of health, I want to make sure that the options are there for you. Um, and the biggest the biggest thing that I did um, to help me really really take control of my health was to take all of the offensive things out of, out of my life. Just get rid of the things that I knew were not serving me, even though I thought they were serving me, just get rid of them. I, we, we were all, the, the temptations and cravings that, that, um, that modern, uh, highly ultra-processed foods present to us are so much stronger than our supposed willpower that the only way to really avoid garbage food is to just make sure you're not around it. You have to kind of treat it in the same way that an alcoholic might treat alcohol. So, um, and it's, um, it's they, in psychology, they call it self-binding. You're creating uh, rules that make it very, very easy for you to make good choices um, versus having the temptation nearby and thinking you're gonna have the willpower to not, to not indulge. Um, so that was, I mean, that was fundamental for me, creating some rules. Um, I decided, you know what, I love alcohol, but I know that when I drink alcohol, it leads to me making, it makes it easier for me to make bad decisions around food. Alcohol leads to pizza, leads to ice cream. And that's the kind of the way. I, so if I can nip it off and I cigarettes, then I won't have the pizza, then I won't have the ice cream. Um, and that, that worked really, really well for me. Um, and then I got to a point where I was able to bring alcohol back into my life in a way that it didn't lead to pizza to ice cream. Yeah, I, I went home after a night of drinking and of course I wanted to eat something and I experimented and I just sliced a cucumber and I ate the cucumber with a little salt. It worked actually, it, it sort of had that same satisfaction. I went back to eating potato chips afterwards just because potato chips are fun, but yeah. you know, that does work and I don't- and it works for a couple of reasons because it's working on a sensory level. There's a crunch, there's an auditory crunch, which is something that um, hyper ultra processed food has really done, ha has figured out that we crave that crunch. 
um, and it has the salt, and then it has a little acidity from, from there's some natural acidity in the cucumber. And that's the, what you just done described is, is a trick that I use all the time when I'm looking for a snack. Cucumber dipped in, in Jacobson sea salt. Mm. There, was, there, were, there was a Simpsons episode in which Homer was put on a diet called the bell pepper diet. When you're uh -huh. like, feel like eating a donut, have a bell pepper. And I'm, I'm not sure that a bell pepper in particular would work, but uh, there are ways of embracing delicious food that's also good for you, like a cucumber. For sure. And I, the hard part is, is that um, generally speaking, real food has real ingredients. The ingredients of real food are, is real food. Like real food is an ingredient. And so after a night of drinking or whatever it might be, when you come home, uh, you're, you're going to open your pantry and you're not going to say, you know what, I'm going to make myself an omelet with avocado and some really good grass-fed butter. Because you're, you're more likely to say, oh, look, there's a bag of ruffles. Here right. we go. Um, so a lot of it also comes down to planning. Uh, a great way to avoid, I mean, this is another thing that I did early on um, that really helped me was uh, after years, as you know, in our industry, we typically, chefs don't really eat meals. You're just kind of like grazing all day. And if you're lucky at four in the afternoon, you have a quart container and you shovel some family meal in your mouth while standing and doing a bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. And what I found that I was constantly, for, for probably 15 years of my professional life, I was never hungry and never not hungry. So I didn't know what it was like to experience hunger, but I also didn't know what it was like to, to experience satiety. Um, and making sure that I just took a, took a stop to eat, you know, took a break to eat like a, a really um, substantial meal that left me feeling uh, sated was really important. It made it a lot easier to then, so then I was less likely to just snack on things. So creating, for me, it all comes down to that concept of self-finding, creating rules. I create some rules um, and as long as I abide by those real rules and, and, and that, that was really fundamental. But I, what I do want to do more than anything is to free people from that, what I call an antagonistic relationship with food to really be able to embrace, hey, listen, if a burger is what you're craving right now, have it. But maybe, as I said, maybe modify it and don't have the French fries because you'll find that not only are those the French fries what make you end up feeling a little bit crummy after having the burger, they're actually what are the most deleterious to your health in in, in that scenario. Um, and uh, you know, I love to I, I love that at at Madeira we have a menu that is really really easy to have food that's vibrant and delicious and exciting, but leaves you feeling really, really good. Yeah, I, I think that the positive approach, I mean, nobody wants to deny themselves anything, but how are you denying yourself something when you're just having a delicious meal that's also has a bunch of fruits and vegetables, which are awesome and whole grains and whatever kind of protein you like, you know, that's, that's fun. In fact, I, yeah. I, this is and it, sort of almost apocryphal, but they're, they're at one of the, health conferences I went to, they talked about how France stemmed the tide of their obesity epidemic through a PR campaign that was sit down and have a good meal, basically. Sit, enjoy yourself, and it worked. And, and I think if more of us took the time to do that, it would probably work here too. And it yeah. sounds like that's the sort of message that you're trying to put forward. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's, a term, it's a term that is bandied around a lot and I think has lost a lot of its, its real meaning, but ultimately it's being mindful. Being mindful of what you're eating, 
Um, we, we, far too often, we, um, the Buddha says, he who eats and reads at the same time neither eats nor reads. And we, we, we don't, we have a tendency in the culture that we have created here in the on the go world of, of the United States of America to, um, to not be mindful when we're eating. And, uh, and you can actually, I mean, there, there, there is pretty solid um, clinical data to support that of our, all of our operating systems, our digestive, our metabolic system, our, our endocrine system, our immune system, if we are in what's called an up, upregulated state, if we're in a state of anxiety or even low level anxiety, so low level fight or flight, if you will, we, um, our immune system is operating at a suboptimal level. Our, we're not absorbing nutrients from our food. Um, our, our, even our, our, our endocrine system is not functioning properly. To really enable food to, to sustain you in the way that our food should, you gotta be present. And this is funny because it seems to be something, not funny, haha, but something that chefs tend to be particularly bad at because you guys tend to be ADHD and doing 18 million things at once. And you work really hard and you're really busy. And as you said, you're often just shoveling food into your mouth when you have a moment to do it. So what, what, what advice do you have for your fellow chefs uh, in terms of looking after themselves in terms of what they eat? I mean, the, the one thing that I would definitely say is you can't, you can't escape, you can't outrun a bad diet. You can't. Um, it will catch up to you no matter what. This is just the reality. And especially in the industry that we're in, where so often we burn the candle at both ends. Um, you have to be cognizant that that at some point it will catch up to you. Um, so creating some 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 real boundaries and prioritizing. I mean, ultimately, you're no good to your staff or to your to your guests if you are sick, unhealthy, on your way to the hospital. Um, right. So it's you got to take care of yourself, um, and we have we've created a culture. It's a it's a it's a it's a real reflection of the greater culture at large, which is that we must be constantly we have to go go go. But it's it's seen um, you know it really plays out in the in the in in the restaurant world it plays out. Um, to uh, uh, an exponential level where we really don't, the margins are tiny and time is really, is really compressed. And it's always a challenge to have, to, to develop a really good team and labor, et cetera. So all of that is to say that um, there's a tremendous amount of pressure to do more with less, which means that ultimately sacrifice is gonna come down on the individual. And it, it's sort of like, um, I don't know if you, do you remember the Stanford marshmallow test that was done in the 1960s? Have you ever heard about this? Uh, it's about delayed gratification, I think, right? They, they gave um, children a choice of having one marshmallow now or two marshmallows in 15 minutes. And to have two marshmallows in 15 minutes, they had to sit there and they had to, uh, you know, they, they had to watch the marshmallow and they'd be rewarded if they didn't eat. Yeah, and part of that is having a, uh, you know, it's having a more of a global view of um, of what your role is within within the the operation, and understanding that if you create some structure, um, that you can 
you, you can be much more effective. So if that means that um, every morning you carve out two hours in the morning before you go to work um, and you make sure that you exercise and you read without your phone or your computer or whatever it might be, um, while that might seem initially like it's really indulgent and you're just, you're kind of, you're, you're indulging in doing this me time it sets you up to be more present throughout the rest of the day so that you can actually really focus. So if that means at 11.30, you get everything set up for lunch service, and then at 11.30, you break for 15 minutes and you have lunch and you put your phone down and you actually sit down and eat your, eat your lunch, you will be much more present and better prepared to have a superstar lunch service than if you just rush right into it and, um, and uh, and don't eat, and then you're kind of throwing something in your mouth as you go. Because the the the, the latter, that second choice of just throwing something in your mouth as you go, eventually that's going to catch up to you. Whether it catches up to your waistline, or catches up to your cholesterol panel, or catches up to your uh, your 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 inflammatory markers, or whatever it may be, you are or your energy level, it will catch you. Um, so yeah, I think that just creating uh, creating a bit of structure is incredibly important and making sure you prioritize your own well-being because if you nobody else is going to prioritize your well-being for you um it's, it's interesting that that you said that taking those two hours in the morning seems self-indulgent but why is it bad to be self-indulgent why why aren't you looking after yourself and and you know making sure that you're looking after yourself i think we have I mean, these are these are big sort of cultural questions about the world we live in, but we have um, we we discourage that because it's seen it, it we perceive that as being um, lazy or being selfish um, when ultimately, if you're you, you know I'm no good to anyone else if I'm calling out sick, right? So I would rather you had eighty percent of my time with 100% of my focus than 100% of my time with 60% of my focus or 50% of my focus because I'm not I'm not taking care of myself. And I that's something you know I learned when I early on when I was going through um, really trying to to turn my health around I just made a rule that I blocked off my calendar before 9:30 in the morning. And that was that. And so if anyone I if my assistant tried to book anything she would go into my calendar and see oh well he's not available until you know, 10 a.m. And that was, I treated the, I, I scheduled the time that I needed to make sure that I could exercise and that I could meditate, I could read or have like, do whatever I wanted. But what I tried to do is structure in a way that I wasn't using that. Because we get so often we wind down at the end of the night with television. We find like two hours at the end of the night to watch TV. Those two hours, if you stop watching TV can become incredibly productive hours that you can use on, on, on uh, helping you be a healthier, stronger, better, 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 uh, better person. Yeah, that's my gym time now. I, I, now that I only commute once a week, that's cut out almost two hours out of, you know, my work day. So I go to the gym and I'm not going to get up early to do anything. That's just not who I am. But at the end of the day, I take it to wind down and it's the highlight of my day. That's great. That's fantastic. So how do you, you're, you're a boss, you're a culinary director. Can you, uh, are you able to convey that kind of mindful living to your subordinates? 
Um, you know, I try to, I try to as best as I can. And I think that it's, but ultimately, you know, as I always say, you, you can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't teach it how to fish. You know, <laughs> that's sort of the, the reality of the world is everyone has to, um, everyone has to figure out what works for them best. But the, the, the one thing that I do think is really important is to set a good example. And whether people choose to follow that example or not, ultimately, or pick up on it and create their own version of it, that's something that, you know, that's, that's great. I mean, I've, I've watched so many of the people that I've worked with over the years um, go from being heavy drinkers and cigarette smokers or even, you know, drug users to uh, and learning to run, becoming, getting into cycling, uh, weightlifting, yoga, you name it, quitting smoking, quitting drinking or cutting back on their drinking. Um, and realizing that, that what's what's hard is that the 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 change, particularly when you're younger, like if you're in your 20s, you feel pretty invincible, and you want to socialize with your with your um, with your team and your teammates. Uh, but and then the easiest way of doing that is winding down at the end of the shift by going out to a bar. But there are other ways of doing that too, like going for a hike together on your day off, or going to a workout class together. And I've seen that shift happen. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's great. And I, and I love to see too, like, as, what, uh, as, as cooks grow up within the brigade and take on more responsibility and step into management positions, it simply becomes imperative that they start to set that same good example. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I have a lot, a lot of the, the, the team members that I've worked with over the years, I'm so proud of seeing them embrace, um, really, really positive, positive habits. And as a result, there's longevity in this industry because if you otherwise, I mean, I, I we have too many friends, you and I, um, both in the in the food world as journalists and uh, operators in the in F and B, who have died far too young because they've lived life far too hard, and it's a real shame. Um, you know, it really it breaks my heart, and uh, I, I you know I, when when you see that change, and I. So many of, of my colleagues of my generation of chefs I've seen have either have gone in one or two directions. They've either embraced uh, a different lifestyle, which is um, really about uh, um, moderation and looking after themselves. And in turn, then you see that reflected in their in their work, or else they've gotten you know more and more unhealthy, and they and you also see that reflected in their work. Right, and their careers end early. Yeah. So, you have, so you you have a book coming out. Talk, tell me about I, your book, Seamus. Well, I'm I'm working on a new project right now. Um, it's a ways from being done, but um, in very broad strokes, it's about um, uh, well, there's there's a food component to it. It's not a cookbook. Um, it's really about learning how as a human to thrive in the modern world. So food is a fundamental part of that. So is movement. Um, so is recovery and community. These are all kind of the, my four pillars of well-being, um, and really looking at cultures around the world that are thriving and what is it they're doing that enable them to thrive, and how can we learn from them and apply some of those lessons to the modern world that we live in? Without giving too much away, what are there cultures that you can think of that are thriving these days? Oh, I can think of yeah, I can I can think of a lot of them. Most of them are living in the fringes of what we call so-called Western civilization. Um, but yes, there, there are, I mean, I, I would say that 
culturally speaking, most nearly every um, indigenous culture in the world that has had moderate contact with with so-called Western civilization is on some level of thriving. But unfortunately, we export from this country. We export a culture of um, of ill health, um, and and that's really sad. You know, we we have. Um, we have what most people consider to be the most enviable healthcare system in the world. I would say it's not a healthcare system, it's a sick care system. Um, and I don't think that's enviable at all. Uh, and as I said earlier, I think that a lot of the, a, a lot of the best healthcare is free and it's at our fingertips. It's just, it's about lifestyle changes. The things that are killing us now are, are non-communicable non diseases. Uh, they are lifestyle diseases. Um, and while we can't, we can't alter the world that we live in necessarily. We can't alter the environment that we live in. Um, we can. There are a lot of things that are within our control, and food is is one of the one of the the big ones. Yeah, and when within our own little circles, we can spread a little sunshine, good feeling, and and whole grains. Without a doubt, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think a big part of it is, as you said earlier, sitting down at the table and having a meal together. That's like. We know that great things happen when families eat together. Great things happen. Crime goes down. Teenage pregnancy goes down. Um, uh, illness goes down. Grades go up. Like all sorts of great stuff happens when families eat together. And that's just a really simple thing to do. But um, it, it, it takes prioritizing that. And uh, that can be really, really hard to do in the world because there's a lot of distractions. It's true. Well, Seamus, thanks so much for taking time to talk with me. It's great to see you again. Glad you thank you, thank you. And um, I'm, I'm going to find my way out to California and look you up. Please do. 